Chapter 35. I woke up warm, dry, bandaged, and safe. I felt like death. As always, as soon as I was conscious, I panicked for a second, not knowing where I was. My brain anxiously registered flowered wallpaper, a soft, warm bed that smelled like laundry softener. I looked down. I was wearing a huge t-shirt that had a cartoon character on it, one I didn't know. I was at Ella's house. I was supposed to be rescuing Angel, if she was even still alive. Thing and Nudge were probably sticking pins in a Max doll by now. I didn't blame them. Now that I was awake, the pain in my shoulder and wing hit me all over again, a stinging ache that radiated out like a starburst. Ugh. I remembered once when I dislocated my shoulder, sparring with Fang. It had hurt so bad, and I had staggered around, clutching my shoulder and trying not to cry. Jeff had calmed me down, talking to me, taking my mind off of it. And then, when I least expected it, he'd popped it right back into place. Instantly, all the pain was gone. He'd smiled and stroked my sweaty hair off my forehead and gotten me some lemonade. And I thought, this is what a dad would do. This is better than what a dad would do. I still miss Jeb so much it made my throat close. Suddenly, I froze, because my bedroom door was opening very, very slowly and quietly. Run! My mind screamed as my hands crawled into claws against the sheets. Fly! Ella's brown eyes, curious and eager, peered around the door. She spoke softly over her shoulder. I think she's awake. Ella's mom appeared. Morning, Max. You hungry? Do you like pancakes? And little breakfast sausages, Ella added. And fruit and stuff? I hoped it only felt like I was drooling on my nightshirt. I nodded, and they smiled and left. And then I saw the clothes on my bed. My own jeans and socks had been washed. And there was a lavender sweatshirt with large slits newly cut into the back. Ella's mom was taking care of me, like Jeb had. I didn't know how to act, what to say. A girl could get used to this. Chapter 36 No matter how quickly the erasers killed them, the gas man was sure it would feel like forever. Up and away. Iggy breathed, inching slightly closer to him. Up and away? The gas man frowned. Iggy had to be kidding. Straight up? Crash! Gasman jumped as the window behind him shattered with a shower of glass and broken wood. An eraser pushed through the ragged opening with a silent grin. Guess what? The first eraser asked with a pleasant smile. We got the little one. They don't need you two alive. They laughed. The sound like deep bells ringing. And then their faces began to change. Gasman couldn't help grimacing as they morphed, becoming more wolf-like their muzzles extending, their teeth protruding, until it looked like they had a mouthful of knives. Boys, boys, one almost purred. Didn't anyone tell you? You can run, but you can't hide. His shiny dark hair was becoming thicker, and more hair sprouted grotesquely on his arms and hands. He literally licked his chops and rubbed his huge, hairy hands together, as if he'd learned how to be a bad guy from cartoons. Ready? Iggy's voice was so faint, his lips so still, that the gasman wasn't sure he'd heard anything. Every second seemed oddly stretched out. His hands closed into fists by his sides. He was ready. Sure. This freak's blind, one eraser said, gesturing towards Iggy. Don't worry, kid. It'll all be over soon, and you won't have to worry about being blind anymore. But it's a shame they didn't give you one of their new eyes, like mine. The gasman looked up at him. A feeling of revulsion arose in his throat as he saw what the eraser meant. 
Set deep into one orbital socket was a stainless steel ball. A red, laser-like glow made it look as though it was filled with blood. The eraser grinned and turned his eye to the gasman. A red dot appeared on the gasman's shirt, and, as he watched, it slowly began to burn a small hole in the fabric. The erasers laughed. You left before they could fix you up with the latest technology, one said. Your loss. Yeah, right, the gasman thought in disgust. How about it, piggies? The first eraser asked. Do you want to try to run? Who knows? You might get lucky. For a little while. Grinning with anticipation, the eraser drew closer. On three. Once again, the gasman wasn't sure if he'd heard Iggy or if he was imagining it. One. The gasman's toes clenched inside his sneakers. Two. When Iggy shouted, Three! The gasman leaped straight into the air, unfurling his wings with a huge whoosh. With a roar of anger, one eraser grabbed the gasman's foot and yanked. Above him, Iggy burst through the rotting roof of the cabin, out into the sky. The gasman broke free of the eraser's grip. Then he was pushing through the shattered roof, tucking his wings in tight to get through the hole. Outside, he lost altitude too fast and landed clumsily on a ricket roof beam. He slid sideways, grabbing for roof shingles that came off in his hands. Iggy yelled from twenty feet above him, Gazzer, move! Just as he slid over the edge of the roof, the gasman spread his wings. He pushed down hard with all his strength, then pulled his wings up and pushed them down again. As he surged to meet Iggy, Iggy threw a package down into the cabin. Move, move, move! Iggy yelled, flapping like crazy. Within seconds, they were a hundred yards away. Boom! Only, it was more like... The two boys recoiled from the blast, tumbling backward in the air from the shockwave. The gasman righted himself, eyes wide as a fireball ten yards in diameter rose from where the cabin had been. He was speechless. After the fireball from Big Boy disintegrated, the cabin burned brightly, its old rotted wood consumed as instantly as kindling. Flames reached for the sky, licking at the green trees nearby, snaking along the ground as brittle brown pine needles caught fire. God, it was beautiful. Well, Eggie said after a long while, that takes care of them. The gasman nodded, feeling sick. One dark body had flown upward in the blast, falling back to earth as a glowing coal. The other racer had crawled a few feet away from the cabin, a burning silhouette that had collapsed, its outlines blurred by a flame. Unless they escaped, Iggy added. Of course, Iggy hadn't seen anything. The gasman cleared his throat. No, he said. They're dead. He felt slightly queasy, guilty, and dirty. Then he remembered Angel, how she'd shared the last of the ice cream with him three nights ago. She was so small, and God only knew what horrible things they were doing to her. His jaw hardened. Take that, he muttered. That was for my sister. For Angel, you scum-sucking jerks. Then he saw the black Hummer, its hood crumpled, driving fast towards the burning cabin. An eraser was leaning out of the passenger window, looking through binoculars. Come on, Iggy, said the gasman. Let's get out of here. Chapter 37 The bell clanged jarringly, and rough hands pushed Angel forward. She stumbled, catching herself at the last second before falling onto coils of razor wire. Angel wanted to cry. She'd been doing this all day. It was late afternoon by now. She was starving and lightheaded, and every muscle ached. And they still made her run. It was a maze. Angel knew that. They'd made a huge, gym-like room in the school's main building. 
They rang a bell and pushed her forward, and then she had to run as fast as she could to find the exit. Each time the maze was different, the exit in a different place. If she slowed down, she got an electric shock so strong that it scrambled her brain, or red-hot wires under her feet burned her. So, eyes blurry with tears, Andrew ran forward blindly, taking this turn and that until she finally stumbled at the exit. Then, she would get a sip of water and a five-minute rest while they redid the maze. Angel sniffled, trying to keep quiet. She hated this. If only she knew beforehand. If only she knew. She could run through fast and not get shocked or burned. Angel sat up, a tingle of excitement running down her spine. She closed her eyes and tried to listen to what the white coats were thinking. One of them wanted to let an eraser loose in the maze, have a fight with her, see how strong she really was. One of them thought they should increase the heated wires so she always had to run on them, whether she was slowing down or not. Then he could study the effect of stress on her adrenaline levels. Angel wanted them all to burn in H.E. double toothpicks forever. One of them was designing the next maze, the creep. Angel concentrated, trying to look as though she was resting. Someone gave her another sip of water, and she sucked it down fast. She could see the rough plan of the maze. It was in her mind because it was in the white coat's mind. Deliberately, Angel breathed in and out, looking spent, but she felt a new surge of possibility. She got it. She knew what the next maze would look like. Blinking tiredly, Angel sat up, keeping her eyes unfocused. In her mind, she was reviewing the maze's layout. A quick right, then another right, then a left, skip the next three rights and take the fourth one, and so on until she saw the exit. She could see all the traps, the dead ends, the path that led nowhere. She could hardly wait to blow their minds. This would be fun. A white coat grabbed her, made her stand in front of the new maze's entrance. The bell clanged. Angel took off, running as fast as she could in case all the wires were hot. She took a quick right, another right, then a left, and so on. She raced through with record speed, no hesitation. She didn't get shocked once and never felt a hot wire under her feet. She burst out of the maze's exit then collapsed onto the cool wooden floor. Time passed. Words floated to her. Amazing. Cognitive ability. Interpretive skills. Creative problem solving. Dissect her brain. Preserve her organs. Extract her DNA. A voice said, No, no, we can't dissect her brain just yet. The speaker laughed, as if it were funny. His voice sounded like she'd heard it in a fairy tale or something. Like late at night, or at home, or with Max. Angel blinked and swam towards consciousness. She made the mistake of looking up. An older man was there. He wore wire-rimmed glasses and was smiling at her. She got no thoughts from him whatsoever. He looked. Hello, Angel. Jeb Batchelder said kindly. I haven't seen you in a long time. I missed you, kiddo. Chapter 38 Nudge didn't know exactly what Fang expected to see. Max flying toward them? Max standing on the ground below, waving her arms to get their attention? Max's body crumpled? Nudge shut that thought down. She would just wait. Fang was older and really smart. Max trusted him. Nudge trusted him, too. How far back had Max separated from them? Nudge couldn't remember. She and Fang had been flying in ever-widening circles for hours. How did they know Max hadn't passed them and was somehow waiting for them back at Lake Mead? Fang, do you remember where we left Max? Yes. 
Are we going there? Pause. Not if we can help it. But why? Maybe Max is hurt and needs help. Maybe we need to save her before we go save Angel. It was hard, keeping these missions separate. First Angel, now Max, then Angel again. Fang banked to the left, tightening the angle as they'd seen the hawks do. Nudge followed him. Below them, the ground looked parched, with only occasional roads, cactuses, brush. I don't think Max would have gotten hurt all by herself, Fang said slowly. She's not going to fly into a tree or crash land. So if she's late because she's hurt, it probably means that someone, a person, hurt her. Which means that someone knows about her. We don't want that someone to know about us, too. Which they would if we went to where Max is. Nudge's jaw dropped. If Max is late because she's busy, then our going to her won't speed things up. She'll come when she's good and ready. So for now, we do a general look-see. But we're not going all the way back. Nudge heard Max's voice in her head. Think before you speak. So she shut her mouth and thought. She had no idea how Fink could not get Max, even if it meant they might get captured or hurt themselves. They all might get captured or hurt saving Angel, right? Why was Max different from Angel? Max was more important than Angel, Nudge thought, feeling guilty. Max took care of them, helped run their whole lives. She snuck a look at Fang. Fang was good, if not very warm or huggy. He was strong and handsome and capable. But would he stick around to take care of everyone if there were no Max? Or would he take off and go live by himself somewhere and not be bothered with them? Nudge didn't know what Fang was really thinking. Suddenly, Nudge was brushing tears out of her eyes, swallowing down the lump in her throat, feeling her nose clog up. Oh god, she couldn't bear it without Max. Blinking, she tried to clear her vision, tried to think about something else. She saw a white truck below and focused on it, forcing herself to wonder what it was carrying, where it was coming from. Like any of that mattered. She drew in deep breaths and held them, refusing to cry in front of Fang. She might have to start being very strong very soon. She might as well practice now. The truck headed toward an intersection that had signs marking a junction. Nudge blinked and looked as the signs became clear, and she could read them. One said, California Welcome Center, 18 miles. One said, Las Vegas, north, 98 miles. One said, Tipsco, 3 miles. Tipsco? Tipsco, Arizona? Where Nudge was from? Where her parents had been? Oh, God. Could she still find her parents? Would they want her back? Had they missed her so much all these years? Thane, she shouted, already beginning the descent. It's Tipsco, down below, I'm going there. No way, Nudge, Fang said, flying closer to her. Don't get sidetracked now, stay with me. No, Nudge said, feeling daring and desperate and brave. She hunched her shoulders and tucked her head down, feeling herself lose altitude. I have to go find my parents. If Max is gone, I'm gonna need someone. Fang's dark eyes widened in surprise. What? Nudge, you're crazy. Come on, let's talk about it. Let's go find a place. Take a break. No, Nudge said, tears coming to her eyes again. I'm going down, and you can't stop me. Chapter 39 We're pretty safe, unless the erasers catch our scent, the guzman whispered to Iggy. The two of them were tucked inside a narrow fissure in the side of a cliff, up high. Scraggly bushes obscured the opening. The erasers would have to rock climb to get to them. 
or use the chopper. Iggy kicked back and rested his hands on his knees. Well, this is a total suck fest, he said grumpily. I thought with those two racers taking dirt naps, we'd be free and clear, at least for a while. They must have sent for backup even before they attacked the cabin. The gasman ground dust between his fingertips. At least we took two of them out. He wondered if Iggy felt as weird about it as he did. He couldn't tell. Yeah, but what now? We're kind of all dressed up with no place to go, Iggy said. There's no way we can go home. They're probably everywhere. What are you supposed to do with ourselves? And what if Max and the others come back, just to fly into an ambush? I don't know, the gasman said in frustration. I hadn't thought beyond just blowing them the heck up. Maybe you should come up with a plan. The two boys sat in the semi-darkness of the fissure, breathing in stale air. The gasman's stomach rumbled. Tell me about it, Eggie said, resting his head on his knees. Okay, okay, the gasman said suddenly. I have an idea. It's risky, and Max will kill us when she finds out. Eggie raised his head. Sounds like my kind of idea. Chapter 40 Never in my fourteen long years have I felt the slightest bit normal, except for my day with Ella and her mom, Dr. Martinez. First, we ate a real breakfast together, around the kitchen table, on plates with forks and knives and napkins, instead of, like, a hot dog stuck on a barbecue fork, burned black over an open flame, then eaten right off the fork, or cereal with no milk, or peanut butter off a knife, beanie weenies from the can. Then Ella had to go to school. I was worried about the jerks from before, but she said her teacher was good at keeping kids in line. And so was the school bus driver. A real school bus. Like on TV shows. So it was me and Dr. Martinez. So, Max, she said as she unloaded the dishwasher. I tensed. Do you want to talk about... anything? I looked at her. Her face was tan and kind, and her eyes warm and understanding. But I knew if I started talking, I would never stop. I would break down and start crying. I would freak out. Then I wouldn't be Max anymore. I wouldn't be able to function, take care of the others, be the alpha girl, to save Angel, if it wasn't already too late. Not really, he said. She nodded and started stacking clean plates. I fantasized about actually being friends with Ella and her mom, long after I left here and went home. We could come back and visit sometimes. Yeah, and we could have picnics and exchange Christmas cards. I'm so sure. I was totally losing my grip on reality. I had to get out of here. Dr. Martinez put the clean plates away and loaded dirty ones into the dishwasher. Do you have a last name? I thought, since I didn't have an official identity... There wasn't anything she could do with the information. I rode my temples. A headache had been creeping up on me since breakfast. Yeah, I said finally. I shrugged. I give it to myself. On my 11th birthday, which was also a day I picked for myself, I asked Jeb about a last name. I guess I was hoping he would say, Your name is Batchelder, like me. But he hadn't. He'd said, You should choose one yourself. So I thought about it. Thought about how I could fly and who I was. My last name's Ride, I told Ella's mom. Like Sally Ride, the astronaut. Maximum Ride. She nodded. That's a good name. Are there others like you? She asked. I pressed my lips together and looked away. My head was throbbing. I wanted to tell her. That was the awful part. 
Something inside of me just wanted to blurt out everything, but I couldn't. Not after years of Jeb telling me I couldn't trust anybody, ever. Do you need help? My eyes flicked to her face. Max, with your wings, can you actually fly? Well, yeah, I was startled into saying. That's me. Mouth like a steel trap maximum. Yep, you have to use all your tricks on me to get me to talk. Jeez, that was what I get for sleeping in a soft bed and eating homey food. Really? You can really fly? She looked fascinated, alarmed, and a little envious. I nodded. My bones are... Then I began hating myself. Shut up, Max. Thin and light. I have extra muscles, my lungs are bigger, and my heart more efficient. But I need to eat a lot. It's hard. Abruptly, I clammed up, a furious blush heating my cheeks. That, folks, was the most I had ever said to a non-flock member. But when I spill the beans, I spill big. I might as well have hired a skywriting plane to scrawl, I'm a mutant freak, in huge letters across the sky. How did this happen? Ella's mom asked softly. My eyes shut of their own volition. If I'd have been alone, I would have put my hands over my ears and hunkered down into a little ball on the floor. Fractured images, memories, fear, pain, all came crashing together inside my brain. You think being a regular teenager with grown pains is hard? Try doing it with DNA that's not your own, not even from a mammal. I don't remember, I told her. It was a lie. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a bootleg Maximum Ride audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olivet Marky, and I am really excited to share this really, really nice message that I got over on my Tumblr, which is Maximum Crime Pod, with dashes between each one of the words, because I hate the URLs that are all smashed together. It's from user for the flock, and they said, I know I've already reblogged this, but seriously, you guys have to listen to this podcast. It really brings you back, or at least me back, to a time where I really enjoyed Maximum Ride. Thank you so much to the creator for making this. I am super jealous and I would love to play a side character or read a chapter or something to participate. Really anything that would make me a larger part of the community, I'm down for. Thank you so much for saying that. It really means a lot to me. Um, This is just a fun project that I thought would be interesting to do because I haven't heard the Maximum Ride audiobooks, but I'm going to go ahead and assume they're not very good (laughs) considering they got greenlit by James Patterson. So um, yeah, it means a lot that you would say such nice things about this uh, silly project that I'm doing. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to have any other people on board to do this. I am really particular about how I do things, and I tend to get really mean and bossy, for lack of a better term, when I work with other people, and I would really hate to do that to uh, other fans of this series. But uh, thank you so much for the offer. Alrighty, I think that's all I've got to say for this episode. If you want to come leave me a nice message or something, or complain, or just just anything, you can go to maximum-crime-pod on Tumblr and send me a message there. 
yeah, that's everything I have to say for now. So until next time, fly on. Fly on.